Right. We are in uh, our series, What's the Bible Say About That? And the whole heart of this series um, is that we will make sure that we're grounded in not what we think or what we may say that Baptists say or whatever, but our real question is, what does the Bible say? Would you agree with that? We don't know what does the Word say. What does the Bible say about that? And so today, as we're launching this new series, and I've longed to get in it with you uh, for some time, and so this is just the right time to do it. You'll notice the message title is Doctrine, the Believer's Weapon. Doctrine, the Believer's Weapon. And I know sometimes when you say the word doctrine, you kind of, <coughs> and you kind of need a glass of water. You think, well, man, we're going to wade off into the desert regions here. Lord, give me strength. So I'm going to try to do everything I can to lay that rascal to rest by this first message and just whet your appetite. I'm totally excited about this. The other pastors are as well. Um, and I want you to know as we start this journey, we're not going to exhaust it for some time. As I told you last week, I'm going to be giving it to you in volumes. So I don't want you to think we're going to be going on ad infinitum on this until I just wear you down to a nub and you're just kind of eyes are crossing and everything. So we're going to do short pieces and there's going to be volumes. And so um, I'll, we'll do this and then we're going to go to something else as we get ready for Easter. But when we, when we think about what I'm, I'm going to be challenging here, what the Bible says, there are certain categories of theology uh, into which the truth of God's word can be divided. And if you've got your life point outline, it's in your, your Sunday bulletin. Be sure and pull that out if you haven't already, if you're new here with us today. And there's an insight I want you to see. And the insight is this. All the truth of Scripture can fit into about ten categories of, of theology. There's bibliology, which is the study of the Bible from the viewpoint of Scripture. Theology proper, which is the study of God. Anthropology, the study of man. Hermartiology, the study of sin, what the Bible says about that. Ecclesiology, regarding the truth of the church and what the Bible says. Angeology, the study of angels from biblical scripture. And then eschatology, which is the study of last things, the study of last days, where you're getting into like Daniel and, um, and Revelation. Now, our first volume is one of, I think, the greatest categories, of course, of teaching in Holy Scripture, and that is the doctrine of salvation. And so that's what this first volume is going to be. And I want you to notice the insight I want to give you in your outline. The study of salvation in biblical theology is called soteriology, all right? Just kind of want you to know that when you begin to uh, do some study and do, and do some reading about what God's Word says. And that's what I want to get you focused on. What does God's word say? That's what I want for our fellowship is like the driving force um, inside our heart and our mind and our soul. What does the Bible say? Doesn't matter who's up here behind this lectern from time to time. You just want to make sure, are they giving us the word? What does the word of God say? Now, in systematic preaching of God's word, we'd normally begin probably with bibliology. Um, the study of the Bible. You know, what does the Bible say that we're supposed to believe um, concerning itself? What does the Bible teach us about itself? How did the Bible come to us? How did we get it? 
according to what God says? How is it different from all the other books? What does it mean when you say that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? And so in 2 Timothy 2.15, the Bible says, study or be diligent to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. All right, now he's told us something. Look at the insight in your outline. Scripture is called the word of what? Truth. That is important. All right, it is the word of what? Truth. That is the basic substance of bibliology. Bibliology is out to prove that the Bible is true. So theology is what does the Bible say is true about God? What's true about him? Hermartiology is what does the Bible say is true about sin. What is the truth about sin? What does the Bible say about sin? And so we're going to get to that. But I'm particularly led to begin, what does the Bible say about salvation? What is true about salvation? And why is that important? So I can know I'm saved. I don't want to be headed, and these flowers up here today are a gift from Jim Reagan's family to our, our church family here. Jim and Peggy, of course, are members of our family. And Jim went home to be with the Lord Jesus. And they just want to say, we love you. Um, and they left these flowers here for us. But when you face something like uh, Jim did, when you face uh, cancer, and when the doctors say, there's nothing we can do for you. And you need to seek out the what hospice can do what do you do with that how do you handle that that is truly where the if you will the tire meets the pavement would you agree with that I mean that's that's where okay you, you will come to the point where you say what do I really believe not just what I talk about what do I really believe because that's just what th- this, this situation has done for you. And so that's why I want to have this message for you. So I want, let's, let's dive into this because I've got a lot to say and my time, the clock's ticking. So number one, what biblical salvation means. What biblical salvation means. Now here's the first truth. The fundamental biblical definition of salvation is deliverance. When you, when you talk about salvation, when we say that I'm saved, I'm, I'm born again, I've ceased to be a child of Satan, and I've become a child of God, what do you mean by that? What does that mean when you talk to somebody and, and you say those words? Well, the testimony of Scripture is that real salvation, if you've got real salvation, if we're really born again, listen, there should be the visibly present, the singular evidence of deliverance in your life. Why? Because that's what salvation means. It means to be delivered. And so if I say, well, I'm born again. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. How do you prove that? There should be evidence in your life of what? Deliverance. Why? Because that's what it means. To be saved means to be delivered. Now, there are three words in the Old Testament that are usually translated deliverance. One of those names or words is Yasha. It's used about 353 times in the Old Testament. And in every case, it referred to God delivering his people. When you get to the New Testament, 
There are two words primarily, sozo and ruomai, that are used a total of about 130 times in the New Testament. And every time it means to deliver or to rescue. And that that's the kind of God that we have. He is a God who delivers. He's a God who rescues us. Let me give you some passages. I think I wrote them down for you in script, uh, there on your notes. Psalm 68, verse 20. God is to us a God of deliverance. Psalm 40, verse 17. You are my help and my deliverer. Romans 11, verse 26. Paul writes about the Messiah, the Lord, and he says, The deliverer shall come from Zion, and he will remove ungodliness and take away their sin. Now, look at this insight in, in your notes. The affirmation, in other words, the proof of my salvation biblically, biblically, is what? It is the evidence of deliverance from darkness to light and from sin to righteousness. So if I am truly saved, if I'm truly born again, I'm going to be at different levels, but there should be some expectation to see that there has been a deliverance that has taken place in my life. Something has changed. Does that make sense? Because that's what the Bible says. Now there are three ways that God delivers us, and I've said this before, I think you've heard it before, God delivers me, I've got a past tense that I have been delivered from the penalty of sin, thank you Jesus, so if I die, I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven, I've been delivered, I have been delivered from the penalty of sin, I am being delivered from the power of sin on a day-to-day basis, and that should be evident in my life. I do struggle, I fall from time to time, but there is the evidence I am being delivered presently from the power. I've been delivered from the penalty of it, which is hell. I'm being delivered from the power of it, and praise God, by his grace, one day I will be delivered from the presence of sin altogether. That's good news, isn't it? So past, present, and future is our deliverance. But here's something that's important. Number two, what is the tool? What is the tool of deliverance? In other words, how does God deliver me? How does God deliver you? You've got a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife or a friend that you want to see come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you badger them? Do you cry? Do you weep? Do you, you try to give them a Bible? Do you invite them to services? What do you do to win somebody and see them saved and born again. What is the tool of deliverance? This is like, this is, this is the big takeaway that I want you to have this morning because it's what God is teaching us about the truth of salvation. If biblical salvation is God delivering me from, the, from darkness to light, He's delivered me from unrighteousness to righteousness and from sin to holiness, then there is a question. And the question is this, what did it? What delivered me? You say, well, the Holy Spirit came upon you. I agree with that. But it wasn't just that. It wasn't just the Holy Spirit coming on us. Why? Because I've got a mind. And I have got to understand something for the Holy Spirit to use in my life. Uh, So, we haven't read the Bible yet, have we? I think this would be a good place for us to do that. <laughs> Romans chapter 6. 
If you turn there, Romans 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now, the whole passage is 17 through 22. I'm going to just read those two verses. You can read those other ones later. So what is it then that God has said delivered us from the power of sin, from darkness to light, from unholiness to holiness? What is it that did that? Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, held in sin, you were hell-bent. This is the way you were. you were. You were dead to God. You were blind to God. Though you were lost in that, you became obedient from the heart to what? That form of teaching to which you were committed. Now, notice that phrase, that form of teaching. What, what Paul is saying is, if I am saved, if indeed I'm going to heaven, it is because we were obedient to, listen, and embraced doctrine. And what do I mean by that when I say we embrace doctrine? We embrace the teaching of Scripture. Here's what God wants us to understand. This is a reason why we come Sunday after Sunday. This is the reason why we get together and we get into the Word. Why? Because it is the teaching of Scripture that delivers us from the power of sin. That is the way God has made it. So the question in your outline, how important is doctrine? And the answer is, I, we were saved from sin, ungodliness, unrighteousness, and death by doctrine, by the teaching of Scripture. We pass from death to life by doctrine, the teaching of Scripture. We please God uh, living by doctrine, the teaching of Holy Scripture. And so here's the truth on the hill. This is how I want us all to feel about doctrine. Right? I want us to have a, a, a mind frame about that. That when we hear the word, the teaching of Scripture or doctrine, we don't just like, Ugh, okay? Doctrine shall not be a dull word to us, but the source through which the power of God flows into our lives and into the lives of others. Let me tell you how God saved us, how God saved you. You may not even realize it. Colossians 1 verse 12, giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. All right, how did God qualify me and you for heaven? How did he do that? Listen, for he delivered us, there we are, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And the deliverance of God, listen, came because you heard scripture. You heard the word. That's how you got delivered. So let's recap what salvation means. What does salvation mean? It means I have been delivered from sin, from the penalty of sin and all that that involves. I have been delivered from the domain of darkness and its hold on me and I have been transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son where I have received, listen, the forgiveness of sin and I have been accepted before a holy God who hates sin. That is what the Bible teaches me. God hates sin. He is a God who loves. For God so what the world? Love the world. 
but he hates sin. And God will, God will strike it. God will, will come against it. And we have been uh, received, we've been forgiven and accepted by a God who hates sin, who must punish sin, and who must ultimately reject and banish those who do not know Christ from his presence forever in hell. Now, when God saved you and me, he did a massive act of deliverance. He delivered you. How did God deliver everyone who has been delivered? Do you know you're delivered? If you do, say amen. amen. Do you know how you were delivered? I'm about to tell you. You were delivered. God did it, listen, through the truth, the doctrine of Scripture. He delivered us by the faithful ministry of some pastors in your life, whether now or in the past, and teachers and men and women of faith who shared truth with you here and there till your defenses were torn down by the Holy Spirit who worked in you. And the only way the Holy Spirit can work in you is if you have heard the word. You have to hear the word. Listen, I know there is a God by the world around me. Only a fool can look at this world and say, it just happened. That's just absolutely crazy. This, we know there is a God by looking at nature and by looking at the creation and, and how everything and this universe that, that is here. But I can only know him. I can know about him by nature and looking at the, at the sky above and the universe. But I can only know him through scripture. I cannot know God. Listen, uh, no child, no individual, no person on this planet can make a decision for Jesus Christ who has not heard the word. That is the reason why we've got to send missionaries out all across this globe. That's the reason why we give to Lottie Moon at Christmas. That's the reason why we have the mission box at the door every Sunday. That's why I ask you for a dollar every week. Why? Because we've got to get the word to people who are lost from Christ. And they cannot be saved until they have heard the word. They can see, they, they can know there is a God, but they don't know who God is or what he's like. They don't know anything about him until they hear what? The word. They've got to hear the word. So here's the insight and the outline. The Christian life is the pursuit of truth as revealed in Holy Scripture. Why do we come to public worship? To hear the truth. Don't you ever let anybody stand in this pulpit when I'm gone who doesn't preach the truth. Ever. I'm not saying I'm about to leave. <laughs> Just be clear on that. I don't want any scuttlebutt going around. The challenge of preaching is to progressively feed truth to the people of God which is the Word of God. Why? So that their hearts can be stirred with life-altering truth that they then can give to others who are lost far from God. What do you give people who are lost? What do you tell your children who are lost? What do you tell your husband, your wife, your friend, your neighbor? What do you tell them if they're lost? You tell them the Word. You have to get the Word in them. All of us have somebody who is lost from God. And, and some of our frame of reference. 
And the Bible says there's only one way to reach them. I want you to write down somewhere if you haven't or if you, you can turn quickly enough to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, 4, and 5. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, 4, and 5. And Paul, Paul talks about this. And so I, I want you to listen to what he says. He says, though we walk in the flesh. Now, he's not saying we're carnal. When he says, though we walk in the flesh, here in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, he's not saying that he's carnal. He's simply saying we're human. Though we walk in the flesh, we're, we're men and women of flesh. He says, listen, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. So Paul says, listen, we're human, but we're in a spiritual battle as believers. All right? So if you're wanting a child to love coming to worship, you've got a husband or a wife who has absolutely no desire for that. If you've got a friend or a, that cares nothing about coming and assembling uh, in some place to worship the creator of the universe, you've got to understand you are in a spiritual battle that cannot be won by the flesh. And so Paul says we don't war with human weapons because the weapons of our warfare, he says, are not of the flesh. Now, I know there are many of you who want to see a brother, a sister, or a parent, a friend, or a spouse, or child come to faith. Well, Paul has just told us we're not going to ever do it with human ingenuity. You're not going to win them with skill. You're not going to win them with wisdom. You're not going to win them with crying. You're not going to, you're not going to wear them down by badgering them. And none of that's going to work. So you just stop it right now. Stop it. Paul says, our, our warfare is not of the flesh. He says, if we're ever going to reach someone lost from God, then our weapons are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. They're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now, that's an insight. What Paul is saying is, when you've got somebody who cares nothing for the things of God, he said, you need to understand inside of them, God says, he wants us to understand there is a fortress inside them. That's why you feel like sometimes I can't get through to them. It's just like, it's just like water on a duck's back, just rolls right off. Why? Because you're facing a fortress that is in them. That's what Holy Scripture says. And God's, the, the word for fortress is the word that's used to describe great stone building, you know, a huge stone structure. That is like impregnable. Now listen, in the heart and the mind and the soul of every child, spouse, friend that is lost from God, you understand there is a fortress in them. It is formidable and it is impregnable as a massive stone wall. And that is blocking the entrance to their heart, their mind, and their spirit. What do you need to destroy that? What do you need to overcome and to gain entrance into their heart and their mind and their spirit? Paul goes on and he says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He said, he said, listen, what I'm up against is I need to destroy speculations in them. And that word speculations in, in the Greek is logimos, from which we get the word what? Logic. And so he says, what we are having to come up against, we're having to destroy, are the ideas, the viewpoints, the ideologies that are in them that are false. And they're keeping them from the knowledge of God. So let me just say again, you cannot win friends, family, or foes to faith in Christ 
arguing, crying, or badgering. So stop it. Just stop it because it's not working and it never will. So number three, Christians battle with the fortresses of ideas in men's minds. Christians cannot overcome hell. They don't evangelize with human weapons. Never forget that. We, because you and I are delivered from error to truth, listen, God says you and I are engaged in a war for the truth. I want you to always remember that. I'm in a battle for the truth to everyone that I want to reach. And that war is to engage false ideas and ideologies and religions and theories of men. Not by badgering, not by weeping, not by pressure. Listen, but with the truth of Scripture. God's truth alone has the power to save. And that's all. There is nothing that can save a man, woman, boy, or girl, but the truth of Scripture, that as designed by God. And so here's the truth in your outline. The Christian, or our strategy for world evangelism is to refuse to hate people of other faiths or no faith, but rather to gain a conversation and expose their minds to truth. Don't let Satan get you caught up in just being agitated because of of what they believe or how they dress or, or that they have no faith at all and they just got a vulgar mouth and they make fun of Christians. Don't. Water on a duck's back. Why? Because there's a fortress in them. But we know how to break the fortress. The only way to do that is expose them to the truth. And to effectively do that, we must know the truth. And that is the work of Christian ministry and evangelism and missionary work. It is crushing ideologies. That's the goal that binds men's souls to a future in hell. And and we do it not by conflict. We We don't want a conflict. We want to do it by the weight of truth. And so here's the the next truth. The Christian life is about doctrine. You know how I got saved? I was saved by sound doctrine. I sat under it all my growing up years. And that's what God used to save me. All of us who name the name of Christ are in a doctrinal war against sin and lostness every day. And our responsibility is to smash those ideologies. That's what we're out to do. We're not out to argue. We want to, listen, you want to give people the word. That's what the Holy Spirit will use. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, bring every thought that in their minds captive to the obedience of Christ. Here's the insight. We are never effective witnesses until we know how to refute error with sound doctrine. And that's why we're having this series. Because I want us to understand about salvation. That's what the other pastors are going to help me with. So, child of God, our life is all about refuting error as long as we live in this world. That's what we do. We seek to refute error and how men are thinking. 1 Timothy 2.4, salvation is coming to the knowledge of the truth. Romans 1.16, Paul said, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Men and women are not saved by anything else. I will not save my grandkids who are not saved yet. I I will not see them come to faith in Christ except as I give them the gospel because the gospel is what will break down their ideologies. 
That's what God uses. Men and women are not saved by anything else but that. Romans 10, 14. How then will men call on him in whom they have not what? Heard. And how shall they hear without a preacher or evangelist or believer who shares with them? What does that mean? People have to be told the truth. They have to be told the truth. That's why we put the messages here out on um, the web. That's why we have, have in, in the past, put it on television, seeking to get the truth out. So here's the insight. If you and I are anything, we are people of the truth, passing that truth to people who are far from God. I want you to write this down somewhere. We, the people of God, are doctrinal people. And I just want us to understand that. Doctrine is not a dry thing. It's not something where you go, <coughs> doctrine. No, it is the truth of Scripture. That's what it means. And so we are doctrinal people. What is important to us is what is true. What are we supposed to believe? Now, I want you to listen. I want, I want to give you a brief rundown, and then, and then I'm through this morning. We are doctrinal people. We believe Scripture is true, and the Scripture alone gives the true way of salvation. We believe that man is a helpless sinner, cursed by God, headed for an eternal hell. We believe that Jesus Christ is the second member of the triune Godhead, come in the flesh, virgin born, lived a holy life as the God-man, died a substitutionary death, in other words, a death in our place, rose from the grave, ascended back to heaven, intercedes for us now, and will come again to establish his kingdom and then finally reign over his people forever and ever in the new heaven and the new earth. Amen. We believe Jesus Christ lived a perfect and holy life. He spoke the true words of God and nothing else. We believe Jesus did real miracles in the physical world, demonstrated full power over demons and angels. We believe savingly that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as Scripture alone declares. We believe that salvation comes when the righteousness of God is imputed, applied to us, no other way but by faith alone in Jesus Christ and no other way. Can you say amen to that? Hallelujah. Praise God. I am glad we've got something to put our feet on that never, ever changes. It stays the same week in, week out, decade after decade. These are doctrinal truths. When any man or woman believes in, trusts from the heart these truths and embraces them, they are then and only then delivered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. How am I born again? How do I know if I'm saved? What do you believe? What do you believe? And if you say, I don't know, I don't know what I believe. Then our answer would be that I don't know if you've ever been born again. Because the only way you can be born again is you better believe something about Jesus. You better believe about him. And that simply means they need what? They need teaching. And that's what we are about. Next week, what is the gospel? People want to know, what's the truth about how to be saved? We're going to be looking at that from Holy Scripture. Now, I know that every one of us have got somebody 
that we want to know that we know that we know that they're going to heaven. That you're not going to have to worry about where they are when, when they die. And if that is true for you, that there is somebody right now that's on your heart, son, daughter, friend, spouse, they're in your mind. I want us to close in prayer in their behalf and in yours. So would you just stand before the Lord, please? After I pray, I ask you to just be seated briefly. There's going to be our, our brief um, announcements, and then you'll be dismissed. Father God, we thank you this morning for the truth of Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for what you've taught us today, that we can rest, that a son, a daughter, a spouse, a friend is not going to be saved by us crying or badgering or needling them. The only thing that's going to save them is truth. And so our work is, what is the truth they need to hear? What we need to do is get the word of God into their ears. That they will hear what the word says. And then, Father, we know the Holy Spirit of God will use the word to convict and to break their hard heart, to break through that fortress that is erected by the flesh and will cause them to see the light of truth. But we can't do that. All we can do is give them the truth. And so now, Father, we pray that we will, day by day, be on a journey of learning the truth that can be shared with others. Those we care about, that we can stop badgering, stop weeping, stop needling them, and look for opportunities to put the truth of Scripture into their ears and by your grace into their heart, that we may have hope that they'll be born again. So thank you, Lord. Salvation is your work. Our job is to get your truth into their heart. So thank you, Father. Thank you for giving us comfort and peace today. Be with us as we leave your house and do your work in the world. We pray in Christ's name. And everybody agreed and said amen and amen. Be seated for just a moment. Watch the screen and then you're dismissed.